we're doing a new series this month uh, talking about hope, talking about the victory that we have in Jesus. This morning, I kind of want to talk about the ideas of optimism and pessimism. I heard a story this week about um, about a pessimistic kind of guy. There was this duck hunter, and he had a friend that was incredibly pessimistic. You know, the kind of guy that he can never say anything positive. So this this hunter guy, you know, I mean, every time he bought something new, his friend had something negative to say about it. You know, the kind of guy I'm talking about. And so, you know, he'd get a new house, and the guy would say, well, the, the taxes are going to eat you alive. You know, you're just going to... And he'd buy a new truck, and the guy would say, well, you know, the gas mileage on that truck is horrible. So the guy buys a, a new dog, a new hunting dog, and, and this dog can walk on water. He can run right on the surface. Of, you know, maybe now that I think about it, this story might not be true. I'm not sure. But, uh, but anyway, so he could, he could run right across the surface of the water, and he thought, my friend, I mean, he's not going to be able to say anything about this. I mean, this is going to impress him. I know this is going to impress him. So they go out hunting one day. And every time he shoots a duck, sure enough, the dog runs across the surface of the water, grabs the duck, brings it back, never gets anything but his paws wet. All day long, he'd go grab a duck, and he'd come back, and, and the, the hunter thought, you know, I bet this is impressive. I mean, he's not saying anything negative, but he wasn't saying anything positive either. I mean, he, he never had anything to say about the dog one way or the other. I thought He thought, I, I can't believe this. I mean, here my dog is running on the water. The guy's not saying anything. So at the end of the day, he said, did you notice anything special about my dog? And the guy said, yeah, sure did. He can't swim. <laughs> it's the way some people are, isn't it? You know, we, we tend to, to see people as either being an optimist or being a pessimist. And, and we tend to think that, you know, I don't like being around pessimistic people that never have anything positive to say. And so we think, you know, we should be optimists. But, you know, I don't know if I've ever shared this story with you about Admiral Stockdale. But he was in prison for seven and a half years uh, in Vietnam, and not only in prison, but tortured horribly during that time. And, and I really love what he said one time in an interview with Jim Collins, and, and he was talking about how he made it out. And he said, the way I survived that horrible ordeal is I never lost sight of the end of the story. I, I never for a moment didn't believe that I would get out eventually and that this would be the defining moment of my life. And so Jim Collins asked, well, who were the people that didn't survive that, that ordeal? And he said, that's easy. It was the optimists. He said that the optimists were the people that were always saying, we'll be out by Christmas. I know this will be over by Christmas and Christmas would come and Christmas would go. And then they would say, well, I know we'll be out by Easter and Easter would come. And Easter would go. And then before you know it, it was Christmas again. And Stockdale said, and they died of a broken heart. And so Collins followed up on that. And here's what Stockdale added. He said, this is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality whatever they might be. See, an optimist says, I choose to see the glass as half full. But hope says, I know exactly how much water is in that glass. But I'm going to choose to drink from the glass like it's overflowing because I know someday it will be. See, there's a difference between optimism and hope. Optimism, a lot of times, doesn't deal with reality. 
But hope deals with the stark realities that we're dealing with, but says, I will not, I will not lose my confidence, my confident expectation about how this story will end. Look at Romans chapter 4, if you would. Romans chapter 4. Now, Again, as we think through who we are and what we have in Christ and the, the hope that that gives us and, and hope that is so much better than just optimism, than just saying my situation isn't really that bad. My suffering isn't really that bad. It really is pretty good or things are going to get better tomorrow. Hope is so much better than that. Listen to what Paul says we have in Christ. He says in Romans 4 and verse 13, the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath but where there is no law there is no transgression. So again, Paul is proving the point that God's people and the people that are in a right relationship with God, the people that are God's covenant people aren't the people that kept the law, because who's that? There's none of us, right? None of us. And and that's how Paul begins the book of Romans, isn't it? He says, the Gentiles, they, they, they were lawless. And the Jews, you had the law, but you broke the law. And there's no one righteous, not anyone. And so he's proving the point that if you're going to be in a right relationship with God and the people that are God's people, the heirs of Abraham, the the true descendants of Abraham aren't just law keepers. They're people that believe the promises of God. Because Abraham was one who believed the promises of God. Look at verse 16. That's why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring. Not, not only the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. I mean, isn't this good news? That, that Paul is saying to them that Abraham is the spiritual father of all those who truly put their faith in God, who believe the promises of God, so that God could give these promises, give this inheritance based on grace and received by faith. Verse 17, as it's written, I've made you, Abraham, the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. That's why we have hope, isn't it? Because we believe the promises of the one who brings life to the dead and calls into existence things that don't exist. Isn't it good? And because we know who God is, and because we know what God is capable of, then when God makes a promise to someone, When he says to Abraham, through your seed, I'm going to bless every nation of mankind. When he says to Abraham, you're going to be the father, not just of the nation of Israel, but you're going to be the father of many nations. 
We believe him. Abraham believed him because he knew that this was a God who could bring life to the dead. In fact, so much so that Abraham, when he was told to sacrifice his son Isaac, you remember? I mean, can you imagine? I mean, this is the son that all these promises are going to come true through. And God says, hey, take your son up to a mountain and sacrifice him to me. And Abraham just does it. I mean, who does that? He just does it. And he's walking up the mountain and he's getting ready to sacrifice his son. And the Hebrew writer says, and thankfully God stopped him before the deed was done. But the reason he was willing to do it was because Abraham believed if my son dies, God will bring him back to life. Because he's a God of resurrection. I've never seen a resurrection, Abraham might have said. I've never seen God bring the dead to life. But I know he can do it because he's a God that calls into existence things that don't exist. He could do anything. And if he makes a promise, I believe him. And that's what the relationship with God was based on. That's what Abraham's relationship with God was based on, was his belief that God was a promise keeper. Verse 18. I love this phrase, don't you? In hope, he believed against hope. I mean, in other words, it was a hopeless situation, yet he hoped anyway. That's what we need to hear, isn't it? That our father, Abraham, had a relationship with God because he hoped against hope. Because even when the the situation was dire, even when it was hopeless, he still believed. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he'd been told, so shall your offspring be. And he did not, listen to these words, weaken in faith. Now, kind of remember that, think about that. He didn't weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. I mean, here's here's his wife, and here's him, 100-year-old couple, and, you know, she's never had kids, and, and he's 100 years old, and, and God says, you're going to be the father of many nations? That's a hopeless situation, isn't it? I mean, you just look at it through natural eyes, and you say, well, good luck with that. I don't know a lot about anatomy. I don't know a lot about things, but that, uh, that, that doesn't seem like it's going to work out. But yet, Paul says he did not weaken in his faith, even though his situation was weak, his body was weak, his wife's body was weak, yet his faith was not weak. His faith was strong. He hoped against hope. He hoped when the situation was hopeless. See, our optimism is usually based on our situation, isn't it? It's situational optimism, isn't it? It's saying, okay, you know, I mean, I might have lost $100, but I still got $100, so maybe with this $100, I can make the situation work out. Well, I don't have this, but I still have this. I don't have this, but I still got that. Well, in this situation, Abraham had nothing but God. The only way this promise could come true was God. His situation in and of itself from a natural perspective was hopeless, yet he still hoped because he knew the God that made the promise to him. No, verse 20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong 
in his faith. You see how he's kind of using those words? He didn't weaken in his faith, verse 19, even though his body was as good as dead. And he grew strong, verse 20, in his faith. Though his body was getting weaker, his faith got stronger. Though his situation became more hopeless, he became more hope-filled as he gave glory to God. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That, that is what faith and hope are all about. That's what hope is about. Optimism says, maybe I can figure something out. Maybe I can do something. Maybe the resources I have at my disposal, maybe I can fix this situation. And hope says, I believe that God is able to do what he has promised. Verse 22, that is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. Right? Abraham was in a right relationship with God because he believed God's promises. He believed God was able to do what he had promised. He hoped against hope. He, his body was weak, but his faith was strong. And his body got weaker and weaker every day. Yet his faith and his hope got stronger every day. See, sometimes we get to a point in our life where our situation gets more dire every day. Where things just seem to be stacking up. And we have cliches for that, don't we? We say when it rains, it pours, right? If it's not one thing, it's another, right? And we, we say things like that all the time because we know that sometimes in life, our situation just gets more and more dire. And yet sometimes we still cling to optimism, and maybe it will. Maybe you will be able to scratch together a few dollars or maybe you will be able to fix it. But that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is hope. Is saying, I know what God has promised me. I know that I am heir of the world. I know that I will be the father of many nations. I know that as numerous as the stars are in the sky, so shall my offspring be. I know that as numerous as the sand on the seashore is, so shall my offspring be. I know that even though my body's as good as dead and my wife is barren, these things will come true. Why? Because the God who could raise the dead and the God who could bring into existence things that are not has promised me these things. And if he says it, it's true. It doesn't matter how dire the circumstances look. That's the kind of hope we need, church. Not just optimism. Faith, hope, a belief that God is able to do what he says he will do. Verse 23, and here's where Paul brings it home. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. It will be counted to us who believe. What will? Righteousness. 
We will be in a right relationship with God. Why? Because we have faith in him. Because we believe. Somebody told me the other day, they said, well, I'm I'm not a Christian because dead people don't just come back to life. I said, well, what is it that you think we believe, right? I mean, of course dead people just don't come back to life, right? What happened was a a once in 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 a world, in the existence of the world, nothing has ever happened like Jesus' resurrection. Nothing has ever happened like that. We don't believe that that's a common everyday occurrence. That's why it changes everything. That's why it changed the world. That's why it changes us. Because we believe that even though dead people don't just typically come back to life, it happened. And he's alive and he reigns. And hundreds of people saw him and testified to it. And disbelievers became believers. Because it happened. And we, we believe in the one who was delivered up for our trespasses and was raised from the dead. We believe that even though dead bodies don't typically raise up, and that we've never in our life, we've never ever seen anything like that, we believe that it will happen to us. We believe it. We hope against hope. We believe no matter how dire the circumstances are, God keeps his promises, period. Right? We believe that Abraham is heir of the world. We believe that his descendants, all those who have faith in God, all those who are in Jesus Christ, we believe that we too are heirs. Why? Because we have faith in him. And Paul says this type of relationship, this type of righteousness isn't based on the law. It's based in the same way that Abraham's was in faith. Do you hope against hope? Do you trust? Do you believe? Do you have faith? Look at chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we've been put right with God. And, and since that's true, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, that, there's the basis of our hope, isn't it? That we have peace with God. And then no matter, no matter who's mad at you, you ever had people mad at you? Surely not. You, surely you've never had anybody mad at you, but I've had people mad at me before, and that, that hurts. And it's worrisome, isn't it? And when there's conflict, and when there's things going in your life, going on in your life that are, that are heartbreaking, it's difficult. But to know that because of Jesus, and because I'm in a right relationship with God through Him, I have peace with God. I have peace with God. I have peace with God. I was his enemy, he'll go on to say. But because of Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection, because I put him on in baptism, I've been delivered out of darkness and death and sin and into the kingdom of light, and I have peace with God. And no matter what else is going on in our life, no matter how bad it hurts, no matter how bad we're suffering, no matter how dire the circumstances are, even if our body is as good as dead, we have peace with God, justified by faith. 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice. Listen to these words. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, as I've read through the New Testament, when I was a kid especially, and I'd read through the New Testament, and it's always saying rejoice, doesn't it? And sometimes that's just annoying, isn't it? It's like somebody saying, just be happy, right? It's like, well, I'm not happy right now, so don't tell me to be happy. Don't tell me how to feel, right? If I, my kids come in and they're in a bad mood and grumpy and I say, well, be happy, smile. How well is that going to work, right? But, but that's not, that's not exactly what it's saying. When it says rejoice in the Lord, it's not just saying be happy. When Paul says rejoice in hope of the glory of God, it's not just saying rejoice even though you don't want to rejoice. Be happy even though you don't feel like being happy. It's telling you what to rejoice in as opposed to rejoicing in anything else. Because that's, that's usually how we make ourselves happy, isn't it? We, we often, and we, we kind of spiritualize it a little bit. We say, well, I need to count my blessings because I still have my health and, and I still have money in the bank and I still got a nice car and I still got a house and I still got my kids and I still got all of those things could be gone tomorrow. All of those things could be gone tomorrow. And you're rejoicing in that? You're rejoicing in uncertain things? Because Job will tell you, won't he? Job will tell you, it doesn't matter how many kids you have, it doesn't matter how many farms you have, or how many barns you have, it can all be gone tomorrow. It doesn't matter how good your health is, or how well respected you are in town, it could all be gone tomorrow. And that's what you're rejoicing in? And you say, well, at least I still have this, at least I have that. Paul says, no, listen, when you're suffering and you're hurting, or even when you're not suffering and you're not hurting and things look pretty good, don't rejoice in stuff. Don't rejoice in stuff. Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You will see God's glory. You will see God's glory. You will be resurrected. You are an heir of the world. That's why Jesus could say the meek shall inherit the earth. Paul says Abraham and his descendants are heirs of the world. You will see the glory of God. That's what we rejoice in. We rejoice in that hope. We rejoice in that confidence. We rejoice in knowing that we know how the story will end. I don't know how this chapter will end. I don't know how this chapter will end for me or for you. I mean, things may be going really well for you, and you think, man, this is the best time in my life, and I've got this, and I've got this, and things are just going pretty well. But you don't know how this chapter will end. But if you put your faith in Jesus, you know how the story will end. And then no matter how this chapter ends up, or the next chapter, or the chapter after that, no matter what happens between now and then, you know how the story will end. And so in this moment, and in every moment, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's what we rejoice in. Paul says it over and over again in Philippians, as he writes from a prison cell, rejoice in the Lord. And I'll say it again, rejoice in the Lord. We've got to stop rejoicing in our stuff. And that's what optimism usually is, isn't it? It's a rejoicing in stuff. Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice, listen to this, we rejoice in our sufferings. 
Well, Paul, now you're just weird. I mean, I just don't understand that at all. Rejoice in our suffering. What's that supposed to mean? Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Suffering produces endurance. You can't, you can't have the ability to patiently endure hard times unless you go through hard times. Right? You, you, you can't have the ability to patiently endure hard times unless you go through hard times. That's why James says the same thing in James chapter 1, doesn't he? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you face trials of various kind. And so Paul says we can even rejoice in our suffering. Paul says, if I've got money in my pocket, I'm not going to rejoice in that. If I've got good health, I'm not going to rejoice in that. If I've got a great family and things are going really well, I'm not even going to rejoice in that. But I will rejoice in my sufferings because I know that sufferings produce endurance. And endurance produces character. Character meaning the quality of having been proven. To have been proven true and genuine. You know, sometimes you'll get a product that has a little tag and it says it's been tested, tested by number three, right? Whoever that guy is. But it's been tested by somebody. And after you've gone through hard times, you got a little tag that says, I've got character. I've been proven. I've been tested. And I'm genuine. I, I really do believe. I really do have faith. I really do have Hope. And he says, endurance produces character and character produces hope. He said, we can't have the kind of hope that we want to have until we go through some of the hard times. Because that helps us to see what's real, what's lasting, what's enduring, what's true, and what's not. Verse 5. Hope does not put us to shame. And listen to these words. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. As we suffer, the Spirit of God who has been given to us pours into us the love of God. He testifies with our spirit that we really are God's children. That we really do have peace with Him. I mean, nobody wants to go through hard times. Nobody wants that. Nobody asks for that. Nobody says, please, God, help me to go through something challenging. Let me go through a trial. Let me suffer a little bit. Nobody asks for that. But after we've gone through these things, after the Spirit of God has poured into us the love of God, and reminded us, after we've had endurance produced in us, after we've had character produced in us, our hope is unbreakable. And so Paul says, even in our sufferings we can rejoice. Why? Because we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not in the things that are merely temporary. So here's what I want us to remember. Suffering destroys optimism, doesn't it? Suffering destroys optimism, but it produces Hope. When you go through difficult times, especially in the early days of difficult times, we're, we're often very optimistic, aren't we? Admiral Stockdale would say those that held on to that just starry-eyed optimism that tomorrow things are going to get better or this situation isn't really as bad as it seems, they die of a broken heart. Suffering destroys optimism, 
but it produces hope. It produces hope. Maybe you've already been suffering. Maybe you've lost more than you ever thought you could endure losing. Or maybe you haven't suffered. Maybe things are going really well. Whichever case it may be, whether you're in the midst of suffering or you're just coming out of suffering or you're about to go into suffering, rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Rejoice in His promises. Hope in His promises. It's really easy. And your friends in the world will tell you, count your blessings. Look at all the stuff you've got. Those things can be gone in a moment. But what cannot be taken away from us, what cannot be taken away from us is the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Isn't that what Romans chapter 8 says? It cannot be taken away from us. So rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The more that we go through challenging times and we glorify God in the midst of our situation, the more we are convinced of God's love. Why? Because the Spirit goes to work pouring into our hearts the reminder, you are loved by God. You have peace with God. Nothing can be better than that. And so I'm not going to rejoice in the stuff I've got or even the people I know or my health or any other thing because all of those things are temporary. And some of you know that better than I do. But we will rejoice in the hope of the glory of God because the love of God cannot be taken away from us. But maybe there's somebody here and you're not right with God. You haven't put your faith in Jesus by being baptized into Him. What are you waiting for? Everything else can be gone in a moment. Make plans for eternity. Put your faith in Jesus. Have a righteousness that is based on faith. Be justified before God by faith in Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Him. And all of us need to be reminded, whether we've been baptized or not, we need to be reminded to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not just be starry-eyed optimists, because suffering destroys optimism, but it produces hope. If we can pray with you, encourage you, we can help you put Jesus on in baptism, this is your opportunity. After services, there's a prayer room in the back. Our shepherds would love to pray with you. I know I say it every week, and those of you that are here every week, you get tired of hearing me say it, and you get ready to sing the next song, I know. But consider the opportunity to have somebody pray with you. Consider the opportunity to put Jesus on in baptism. Consider what we're here for. Consider the promises that have been made. Consider the promises that you can receive. Consider what it is like to have Christian people remind you that God loves you and we love you. So if we can help you in any way, come forward now as we stand and sing.